Hello everyone and welcome to Women Decode STEM Season 2. I'm your host Neha Savanur and in this season I will be talking to entrepreneurs from around the world. These visionaries have remarkable journeys that they will be sharing with us. Before I introduce our guest for today, I have some exciting news to share with all of you. For the last couple of months, I have been working on an initiative to provide guidance and support for women in STEM fields to help them grow into leadership roles. I'm happy to announce that our platform Doyen is now open. You can now join the waitlist to be a part of this amazing platform. Also, we are giving away 2 months of free membership for the first 100 women to sign up. Go to www.bedoyen.com. That is www.bedoyenne.com and join the waitlist today. I'm starting off season 2 with the powerhouse of an entrepreneur, Brianna Brownell, founder of Pure Strategy. a SaaS company that uses AI technology to analyze enterprise data. Hey Brianna, thank you so much for joining us on this show. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Awesome. I'm always up for discussing technology <laughs> and entrepreneurship, so yep, I've been looking too. forward to a conversation. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So, talking about technology, um uh, what is your earliest memory of using technology? Like when did you decide that you wanted to be in this Oh wow, what a good question. You know, I've always been um really interested in math and science. And so, you know, I would um, you know, really get into some of the like pop science books of the time. So I read like The Elegant Universe for example. I read A Brief History of Time. I was always super into sort of the science aspect. And at that time, I don't think I really understood how influential technology was going to be in the future and in understanding um science in the world. And so um it wasn't till quite a bit later that I started kind of getting into into tech. Like I remember we uh we got the internet when I was about um 11 and I really enjoyed going to internet chat rooms and chatting with my friends. I had, you know, all of these sort of like MSN chats and everything. And um when I was a teenager, I created um a little bot for these chat rooms uh, that would um that would give trivia questions, right? And so you know we could have these little trivia things where you know the bot would ask a question of the channel and then whoever got it fastest would you know you would get points and that kind of thing and um the funny thing about that experience was sometimes i would pretend to chat um as the bot Oh. and you know and people would just be so amazed that like oh this natural <laughs> language processing of this bot was you know it was just amazing and of course it was all fake right it was all fake <laughs> um but then later i kind of got into um chatbots and and those kinds of things with eliza when i was working at the physics lab in university um and so you know tech was never like the primary thing for me when i was growing up but then later it it definitely was you know a huge thing in my life 
Yeah. Yeah, those are great memories. Like <laughs> chatbots are like in use today, but looking back, um I think mm-hmm. that's awesome that you built a bot like yeah. long before. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't I didn't write it all myself, but uh you know, I got it set up, I got it working. So, I was pretty impressed with my, you know, teenage self. Our interests paired with our unique career experiences defines what we build as entrepreneurs. It's no different in Brianna's case. Her interest and learnings in business, data science, economics and human behavior led her to solve a unique problem by building her company. When I went to do my undergraduate degree, um I wanted to go into theoretical physics. Um so I was not as interested in sort of the the business world or the tech world. And in fact, um it was the mathematics part that really you know sort of tugged at my heart and and made me really interested in sort of the world within mathematics and um as a result of working in that field um i did a lot of programming um to be able to sort of manipulate mathematical equations and and solve problems using math so mm-hmm. uh when i worked at the I worked at the Subatomic Physics Institute um at the University of Saskatchewan and so um what I was responsible for was creating um write essentially writing maple code to be able to check whether um experimental data fit with um theoretical predictions in QCD theory so it was really cool because I got to see how the mathematical part actually um was applicable to the scientific area that I really loved. Um and so that was sort of my my first foray into, you know, how technology was impacting the sciences and and math. But then after I graduated, um I decided I didn't want to go to grad school, I wanted to work in industry. And so with a degree in math, uh finance was the sort of, you know, the the place that lots of people with that background went to. um and so it was in 2006 um and you know you probably know what's coming next the global financial crisis so um i was working in in finance um until essentially the the crash started and everything started going sort of crazy um and as much as i really enjoyed working in the finance area um i've always been interested in investing um i decided to sort of go into a, di- a different sort of career path. Um and at that time data science wasn't really a thing, but I knew I liked numbers, I knew I liked data, I knew I was good at uh algorithm design. And so I started working at a boutique market research company um doing some of these advanced analyses. And so um you know it was interesting because while I was working there um the interest in data science increased more and more and more and more um and you know it was lovely to be in a field that was uh rapidly expanding and being shown to be extremely valuable to businesses um and yet i always knew that i wanted to start a company so about 5 years ago i sort of took the leap and uh, never looked back that's awesome Yeah that uh, that was my like next question going on to your startup uh pure strategy can you tell us what it does i know it uses um artificial intelligence but i right. would love to know what it does yes certainly um so the challenge that i saw when i was working as a data scientist was that 
businesses just really, really struggled to um, use their data effectively. Um, and so what I wanted to build was something that gave them sort of the, the technical tools so that they could get some quick wins with the data that they already had. So uh, we created uh, an AI-based platform. Uh, so we call it Annie, the Automated Neural Intelligence Engine. Um, and that has four different components. Um, so the first is our prediction engine. Uh, the second one is our emergence engine. So that, uh, that part looks for patterns in data that um, you didn't know were there and it's uh, information that emerges from the data. So unsupervised machine learning, um, choice modeling, um, as well as natural language understanding. And so when you put those sort of four aspects together, um, you can do really, really powerful things with it because um, you know, any kind of data that you have uh, by building a pipeline between those modules, you can you know, get a really, really deep level of understanding of data. So um, the place that I think that I'm most excited about how our work is used, especially right now with COVID-19, mm -hmm. um, is in healthcare. Um, so we can look at the way that physicians and patients make decisions around um, their health conditions. Um, and from that, we can create uh, typographical groups that allow us to um, understand decision-making um, in an aggregate level without losing that sort of thing that makes each of us unique. And then we can layer on top of that um, an understanding of the narrative of that entire journey. Um, and so, it's really cool because um, it allows you to get some of those macro level trends mm -hmm. in looking at the data, uh, but you, you don't lose the sort of individual personal experience of the people within the data set. And so, you know, that, that's what makes me really excited about it. Looking at technology and the impacts that it has on healthcare, and especially right now when everybody is like looking for solutions really quickly, um, I think that is really impactful and it's very cool. I think you know, all in all, there's been some really amazing um, artificial intelligence has made some really amazing things possible in in terms yeah. of COVID nineteen, and you know, I'm excited to see that continue. Yeah, I think like in the last two or three years, uh, so many startups have emerged in the artificial intelligence field. Um, and we're seeing it take over like all kinds of sectors, like healthcare and education and all of that. Absolutely. So from your perspective, how do you see consumers using artificial intelligence, let's say five years down the line? I think so. If you look at the consumer market, um, one of the areas that has really sort of exploded um, is the idea of using sort of an AI um, personal assistant. So things like Siri or Alexa or, you know, like all of those kind of smart home devices or um, devices that sort of allow you to sort of communicate with um, your um, phone or, you know, like your smart home uh, device more easily. Um, and I think that the reason that those have become, you know, ubiquitous is because natural language is the way that, you know, we all talk to each other. Um, you know, why, why shouldn't we, you know, talk with our devices in the same way? Um, I mean, it really wasn't that long ago. So I don't know, you know, if you remember this, but 
when the mouse came out and i mean i'm not even that old but when the mouse <laughs> came out there was actually like games to um, let you practice how to use the mouse and how to double click and how to you know do all of these different things yeah. right yeah. um because you know it's it's easy to forget that we all had to learn how to type and we all had to learn how to you know use swipe texting um yeah. at some point whereas language is sort of immediately available to everyone regardless of how well they know how to use a computer and so um seeing the successes in natural language understanding has been absolutely amazing because that problem has been worked on since since the 60s and it never quite got to that level yeah. until we had enough data we had neural network uh, infrastructure that we could use um, and then we had enough processing power to actually make these things happen. Um, so if I were to predict what the most interesting um, trend in, in consumer um, AI is going to be, it's going to be the expansion of that area. I think that it's going to become um, table stakes to be able to do things through voice um, mm -hmm. that you now can mostly only do with like a keyboard or, or a mouse. And so yeah. um, it, it's sort of funny because we're almost going back to um, you know, where, where it used to be where, you know, you, you, um, didn't have all of these sort of input methods like a mouse or a keyboard or, or whatever, um, you know, back to sort of the fundamentals of, you know, human to human communication. It's interesting to learn about the impact artificial intelligence can have on different sectors. Given that healthcare is where everyone's focus is on right now, how can AI help in fighting the pandemic? Can we find answers more rapidly using AI? Since Brianna is an expert in AI, I was keen on knowing what her thoughts are on this subject. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I mean, we were talking not long ago about some of the successes of AI with uh, COVID-19, like where I've been super impressed in um, the AI tech that's really worked is the areas of um, triage and um, therapeutics. So if you look at ways that AI can not necessarily sort of diagnose something in a silo, but sort of surface um, information that might be important so that a physician, for example, can look at it to see whether or not it, it deserves like a second look, right? Um, especially when you have, you know, a huge number of people um, coming to the hospital or, you know, huge number of tests you have to go through, being able to find those cases that might be serious early, I think is super, super important. Yeah. Um, and then things like all of a sudden we realized we had to um, do a whole lot of research into coronaviruses and looking at, you know, all of the different sort of research that's been out on that topic. Well, there's way more papers than, you know, any human can really read through in a reasonable time. Yeah. But, you know, an AI system can sort of surface the information much more easily. And so um, I've been really impressed in how some of these AI systems have, you know, gone in and essentially um, read through all these papers and sort of pulled out or attempted to pull out sort of interesting links that could be used. And so... Um, that I think has just been like a really cool thing. Um, so now switching gears a little bit, I want to talk about the process of you um, starting your own company. Absolutely. What were the first steps that you 
took when you wanted to like quit your job and start out on your own? Did you have an action plan ready or did you have guidance from someone before you started? Well, I always knew that I wanted to start a company. Um, I had a lot of, you know, really influential mentors in my life in, in that area that um, I looked up to a great deal. Um, so both of my grandmothers were actually entrepreneurs, as well as my, uh, my great aunt owned a hat shop. Um, and then uh, one of my grandmas owned a, like a, a small grocery store in a small town in Saskatchewan. Um, and then my grandma on the other side um, owned a dry cleaner and a cafe. And so, you know, sm small businesses, very different from, you know, tech startups. Um, but I really found that inspiring because, you know, I saw that, you know, it was possible for me to follow a similar path. And um, when I was working at my previous job in the analytics area, um, the CEO was female as well as the managing director of the office that was in Australia. And so, you know, I sort of saw that it was possible for me to essentially do the same thing. So I spent a long time sort of studying um, how they were successful and, and that really helped. Um, of course, starting a company is very difficult. It takes much longer than you think. It's much costlier than you think. You know, there are a lot of sort of um, factors around it that, you know, when you're working for someone else, you don't really um, realize until you're sort of on your own. Um, one of the areas that I really um, noticed that was kind of interesting is at the beginning, you don't have any of the systems set up, like none of your systems are set up. And you really underestimate how long it's going to take to set up those systems for the first time. So things like, you know, getting a shareholder agreement in place, finding an accountant, uh, figuring out how to do your, your accounting or finding someone else to, to do your accounting, yeah. um, setting up your payroll system, figuring out, you know, your bank account, figuring out the deductions you need to make on, you know, for, for your employee payroll. Um, setting up your your website, your, you know, document store file storage system, like, you know, all of those things that are just core to the company, but um, they're invisible in most of the companies that, that you work for. Um, I found that was a really interesting learning experience to realize how long it actually took to take to set those things up. The process of building a company can be lonely at the beginning. A lot of entrepreneurs seek co-founders to bounce ideas off of each other, split the tasks on the never-ending to-do lists. It can be relieving to have someone with you while making decisions both big and small. Building this partnership is so crucial. It can decide the direction your company takes in the initial years. Um, so there's a lot of kind of different um, philosophies around um, co-founding relationships. Um, so when I started my company, I had a co-founding team with me, um, but eventually that relationship dissolved. And so I found sort of a new um, partnership team um, after that. And so um, what that really taught me was how challenging it is to sort of build something, um, you know, with other people that don't quite share your vision of what the company sort of needs to be. 
And so it's always, it's always a real challenge to find um, people to be on your team that, you know, are all kind of pulling, pulling the same way. Um, but being a sort of a solo founder or sort of being the one that always has to be the driving force in the company is really challenging. And so being able to find um, other people that you can sort of talk to and, and, you know, be honest with, mm-hmm. um, I think is extremely important. One of the, you know, startup people are <laughs> always, you know, they're always killing it. Everything's great. All, you know, they're always having wins, right? Um, but the truth is, you know, in around those wins, uh, there's a lot of challenges that happen. Um, and I don't think that founders, um, founder, founders struggle um, to, to speak about those things because um, it's, it feels like admitting um, sort of something negative about your company and you don't necessarily want to do that. I met um, Jess Lee uh, a couple years ago, who's just amazing investor. She's, you know, CEO for several great companies. And, um, you know, one thing that she said really stuck with me um, about that exact same thing, uh, which is that, um, you know, entrepreneurs need to be more honest with each other and find a group that they can be honest with because otherwise you, you know, you can't do it. Maybe you don't want to tell like everybody in your network when, you know, something bad happens. Um, but you do need to find those people that will um, not judge you and will support you when times get tough. Yep. Yeah. I agree with that. Finding your network to have honest conversations is like so important. Absolutely. Another hot topic for entrepreneurs, I feel like, is raising fun versus mm-hmm. bootstrapping your company. Mm-hmm. What is your take on that? The challenge with investing, I, I'm an investor in several um, other several other startups, and the challenge is that you now all of a sudden have to attend to a lot more um, people to sort of justify your decisions and to sort of, you know, be able to um, be essentially held to account for your, for, for what you're doing. So that's absolutely can, you know, a good thing for the CEO to be held accountable for their decisions. Um, But it's when it becomes a real challenge is when the CEO is spending more time managing the board um, and the investors and the shareholders than they are, managing their staff. And so I've seen it happen where um, entrepreneur has a sort of difficult, tumultuous relationship with um, some of the investors on their board, and that can really sort of shake the company apart. Um, so that, that can be a real challenge. Um, but it also gives you a big network of people that are willing to sort of help you. So um, for example, like I um, like talk with the, the founders of the companies um, that I invest in and, you know, and help them out if I can and, you know, all those kinds of things, because, you know, you want as an entrepreneur investors who are going to, um, you know, not only be financially invested in your company, but also invested in the success of your company. So um, being proactively helping out, trying to get the word out about the company, um, all of those kinds of things I think is, is really important. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's kind of a mix. Um, 
uh, raising capital works for a certain kind of business, um, usually the kind of business that um, the investor can see a return through an acquisition or an IPO. Mm-hmm. Um, and other businesses, it, it doesn't work so well for. Um, so, you know, it really depends on the company itself. Yeah, it's always a challenge to understand, like, should you raise capital or like at what stage should you raise capital? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's really good advice. The one thing I really admire about Brianna is how practical she is. I thought it would be invaluable to have her advice on becoming an entrepreneur. What should you consider before quitting your day job to become an entrepreneur? Is this path suitable for everyone? Well, you know, I think that a lot of people really think that they want to be entrepreneurs, but they don't really um, they, they don't really want to be entrepreneurs. They want the good things about entrepreneurship without all of the the struggles yeah. um, because there is a huge pervasive myth about what entrepreneurs what entrepreneurship is like. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you buy into those myths, you're gonna, <laughs> it's gonna be, you know, you're, you're gonna have a moment of reckoning um, a few months into the company where you sort of look up and you realize, you know, this isn't glamorous at all. <laughs> um, and so what I would actually caution, um, so the people that want to um, quit a corporate job, um, caution them, you know, before, before doing so and really, honestly ask yourself um what is it about entrepreneurship that is um, attractive as well as um what things about um, entrepreneurship might be um, a hardship so um a lot of people say they want to be um entrepreneurs because they want freedom and they want to be their own boss well the freedom thing (laughs) um doesn't feel so free when you have to, you know, you're essentially have to answer emails when you're on holiday all the time because there's nobody else that can take care of it. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have to do like I did a presentation um, in the middle of the night because it was like a European, it was European customers, um, you know, like freedom, it, you know, is really not exactly what, uh, what it is. Um, and then the second one, uh, being your own boss, um, I think, is always a challenge for people who've worked in in a corporate environment because they think um, that they're their own boss when they're an entrepreneur, which is not true. Now all of their customers are their bosses, and their customers all disagree with what they want. And you know, and so it's a lot difficult, more difficult because you're actually not dealing with one person that you have to make happier and press. You have to you you have to deal with you know twenty or a hundred or a thousand customers who are you know all you know from a whole range of areas and so um, it's difficult for people to move from the corporate environment because that structure around um, the structure around the job is no longer there. Um, the other area where I see a huge struggle with people moving from a corporate environment to an entrepreneurship environment um, is that if you're working in a big corporate job, um, you know, there's sort of a brand around the organization. So you can say, you know, 
I work at like ABC Corp and people say, oh yeah, okay, I know them. As soon as you work for yourself, as soon as you go into entrepreneurship, nobody knows your brand. You have, you know, you have to build your credibility um, with your own, um, you know, actions, entrepreneurs that call themselves X, you know, fan company, for example, in their bio, because they, they still want to lean on the credibility of those, uh, those old entities that they used to work for. Um, so those are some, some areas where I often see issue with, with uh, people trying to move into entrepreneurship. When you jump into entrepreneurship, there's so much, so many unknowns that, that you just have to tackle. Like it just takes over your personal life. There's no, it just blends in with your personal life yeah. and you have to be flexible um, in order to make it successful. Yeah. So those are the questions that I had for you today. But before we let you go, I have a rapid fire round for you. Uh-oh. <laughs> All right, let's do it. <laughs> okay. First question. Um, what is your favorite quote? You know, because I, I don't know that I have one sort of um, code that I really live by, um, aside from just trying to sort of learn as much as possible and to, you know, treat people as well as I can. Yeah, that's awesome. That That's your own quote, I guess. <laughs> I wish I had a better quote for that. <laughs> um, second question. How do you keep yourself updated with technology? Um, I am a part of several um, sort of tech groups. Um, and that is really invaluable because then, you know, things sort of bubble up um, within those groups that are interesting um, and I can sort of follow that. Um, I also spend a lot of time um, reading. Um, it's probably the pastime that I spend the most time doing. Um, and uh, yeah, so so those, I would say, are two areas. Okay. And my last question is being organized or attention to detail? Um, so I am not um, very neat. Like I'm, I'm very much a, a mess. Um, so when I... Uh, when I was in university, my uh, a friend of mine said that you know my house has a, like a resolution of about a meter, which means anything that was smaller than a me- than a meter was just easily lost, right? Um, you know because I sort of think about um, you know tidying up and all those kinds of things, and I would just rather read a book, and I would just rather you know I mean I don't like I try to make it not extremely dirty but i you know i I just think that you got to give some um you know you got to spend your time in the way that benefits you the most and um and that's just not a way that benefits me yeah 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 everybody has their own things to take care of so yeah i completely agree with you yeah yeah those were my three questions thank you so much brianna for being on the show today yeah you're very welcome i had a great time yeah Yeah, me too uh, Good luck with uh, your, you know, leap into entrepreneurship. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Women Decode STEM. If you're new here, please take a minute to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on iTunes. It helps me get my message out to a wider audience. All the social links to my guests are in the show notes. I will talk to you next week. Until then, I hope you have a great day and the rest of the week ahead. Bye.